0: The passage we're going to be looking at this morning is Psalm 46, the 46th chapter of the book of Psalms. You could find it in your bulletins. You could read along in your own Bibles as well. Would you follow along as I read aloud? To the choirmaster of the sons of Korah, according to Alamutha's song, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Would you please be seated and would you join me in a word of prayer? Dear Father in heaven, we ask this morning as we look at this 46th Psalm We ask that you would show yourself to be our mighty fortress. And would you help us, our Lord and our God, to see our own frailty, our own weakness and vulnerability, and would we be honest with ourselves? Would we confess our weakness to you, our Lord and our God, and then would we rest in you? For we know that when we are weak, you are made strong. And where we see our own failures and shortcomings, we know that you are whole and strong and complete. You are our mighty fortress, our great stronghold. And so, our Lord and our God, would we rest in you and would we find our hope and our security in you. We love you and we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we ask all of this. Amen. As I was thinking about this sermon and this first illustration, I was thinking that, you know, it's interesting that we each, all of us, has our own personality quirks, our own strange habits. And the psalm brought to mind one of my own. I have this this propensity or inclination to be often concerned with Mitigating future risks. Mitigating future risks. And and here's the ways it kind of manifests itself in my own life. Uh, A few examples. I'm often concerned with uh, making one, three, and five year plans for my life. Uh, Not only just plans, but plan A, plan B, and plan C. I like to have contingency plans. And it kind of drives my family crazy. When for instance, we look at our, uh, a home that we're going to buy or the ways that we're going to arrange the rooms in our, in our home, I'm often thinking of the, the worst-case scenarios. How are we planning our space in case there's a tornado? How are we planning in the case of a fire? Where are we going to place our valuable belongings so that we can get out of this building like three minutes tops, okay? And, and often I'm thinking about how, how are we going to uh, strategically place things? How are we going to park our cars? Or where are we going to place things for uh, plan A and plan B, and I like to think about other things as well. How, how are we going to purify water in the case of emergency? How, how will we prepare if there's no electricity? What are the alternate ways of having electricity for our homes? And I, I like to think about that. It also, one other way it manifests itself is uh, in the grocery shopping, okay? Now, I know most people who grocery shop, they go maybe once a week, and they grocery shop for the things that they need, but that's not the way that I grocery shop. Often when I go shopping for groceries, there's kind of like an algorithm going on in my head that's saying, okay, what are the things that we need that are cheap right now that in six months or a year from now might not be that cheap, okay? And so a comical way this played out about two years ago, the price of fruit was really low at the time. And I was reading about how uh, uh, droughts and famine and pestilence, they were causing farmers to not be able to grow their fruit. And in six months or a year, the price of fruit was really going to go up. And so what did I do? I went to the grocery store, and over the course of four weeks, I bought enough fruit for like the whole year. And then I began to dehydrate the fruit. and I thought, this is great. I'm going to take advantage of this and get fruit for really cheap and dehydrate, and we're going to be good. And so I, I had this great plan. I thought it was a great plan in my mind. And, um, and after a few weeks into this eating dehydrated fruit, my kids said, Dad, we're getting tired of having dehydrated fruit in our lunchbox. It's kind of embarrassing, Dad. And um, I thought to him, well, guys, listen, I got these bananas for like 10 cents a pound. And now they're like 44 cents a pound. Do you realize how much money we saved? Like, uh, no, Dad, how much money did we save? And so I start doing the math in my head. Like, wow, we save like 15 bucks on bananas. Really not that exciting. And, and their response is like, Dad, we will give you $15 if you will just give us fresh fruit in our lunchboxes, okay? it's comical, I know. Now, l- let me say this. The illustration is very helpful. Whether or not you do the same things that I do, these actions are born out of the human inclination that I'm going to call the longing for security, Right, The longing for security. Security for me is like having a, a full refrigerator and the pantry having food in it. That, that's what security feels like. But all of us, in dozens of ways, every day is longing for security. Let me give you a few examples. You're looking for a job and you got two job offers. And one is like this mom and pop company that may or may not be open a year from now. And the other is a Fortune 500 company and they've got this great retirement plan, and they got all the benefits and a great starting salary. Man, this is great. Nine times out of ten, we're choosing the Fortune 500 company. That's security. That's what it feels like. You go to look at a new home, and you got two options. They're both about the same size, same price, but one has vinyl siding, and the other has brick. Right? There's no difference. It's just clay that's been baked and formed into a brick, okay? But, but in our minds and the experience that we have, there is more security in a brick home. It's the feeling of having a roof over your head. It's the feeling of having a vehicle with low miles. It's the feeling of being in a relationship with somebody who says, I'm going to love you forever, right? We don't want to be in a relationship where somebody says, I love you today, but I might not love you tomorrow. There's no security in that. As human beings, we long for security. We want security. We need security. And as we look at Psalm 46 this morning, Psalm 46 is a psalm all about security. Okay? The psalm we will look at this morning is all about security. And if you want kind of a little moniker again to think about what's happening in the psalm, when we feel vulnerable, when we feel exposed, when we realize that we are weak when we realize our own limitations, Psalm 46 tells us that the Lord God is our protection. That the Lord God is our security. And that's what's happening in this psalm this morning. Now, by way of introduction, a few things about Psalm 46. First of all, this is the psalm that inspired Martin Luther's "A Mighty Fortress. The song that we just sang a little bit earlier, 15 minutes ago. This psalm was so inspiring to Martin Luther that he said this was the most pivotal psalm of all psalms that he had read, and so he wrote the song, A Mighty Fortress. Okay, The psalm, it says at the outset, if you read the beginning, it says a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, this isn't consequential to our understanding of the psalm, but the background is is, uh, maybe enlightening to you. The sons of Korah, Korah was the, the rebellious man during the time of... Uh, the, uh, the exodus out of Egypt who rebelled against Moses and God condemned him. Now, these are not the actual sons of Korah. These are the, the descendants of Korah. And we know that in David's court, there were three very well-known songwriters and psalm writers uh, who were the descendants of Korah. Asaph, who writes some other psalms. Uh, Jeduthun and Nathan, I believe, are the three descendants of Korah in David's court, They're responsible for writing Psalms 42 through 49, uh, Psalm 84 through 88. So 11 psalms written by these descendants of Korah. Now as you heard the psalm read aloud, you probably recognize that there are three distinct parts of the psalm. They're separated by Selah, 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 three times, okay? Verses 1 through 3, 4 through 7, 8 through 11. That's how we're going to deal with the psalm this morning, in those three sections, Each section answers an important question for us as we attempt to understand God as our mighty fortress. Okay, so here we go. First of all, verses 1 through 3. If you look at verses 1 through 3, I'll tell you this morning, I think the question that's being wrestled with here is the vulnerability of man. I've titled this section, Am I Really That Vulnerable? Am I really that weak? Am I really that exposed? And if you look at the first three verses, as we read the psalm this morning, you'll see that there's a number of of, uh, topographical uh, terrain or terrestrial images that are introduced at the beginning of the psalm. I've drawn a few of them on the board. If you're a drawler like me and you want to record this in picture form, you can go ahead and draw for yourself some solid land, some mountains, and an ocean or a sea. These are the three images that come out in chapter 46 in the beginning parts of the psalm. Now, I would suggest to you this morning that these topographical images are presented to us because they have something in common, something very important. Each of these is images in the world around us of things that are solid, permanent, unchanging and communicate to us a sense of fortitude, okay? For instance, right, we think about solid ground. We build our homes on solid ground. We don't build them on the sinking sand. We don't build them on the ocean. We build them where the ground is firm, where the earth is solid and that's one of the images at the beginning of Psalm 46, Solid ground. The mountains, another image in Psalm 46. The mountains to us are a a timeless picture of fortitude and strength, right? I have lived here in Lynchburg for almost 20 years, and I know every week when I drive down 221 that I'm going to see the Blue Ridge Mountains, and there will be Sharptop. And it is every day unchanging. We don't wake up next week and say, oh look, it looks like Sharptop has moved 10 feet to the right, or it looks like it's you know, 30 feet shorter, it always remains right there in our vision. If you've lived here 100 years, it's probably been the same. You, you have seen the Blue Ridge Mountains, and they are a picture to you of things that are permanent, of things that are solid. Now, I believe the psalmist introduces these images to us in Psalm 46 not because he's primarily speaking about actual mountains and actual solid ground and actual oceans. I don't think that's what the psalmist has in mind. I believe he's presenting to us imagery that would evoke in our thinking, in our psyche, in our hearts, imagery that would evoke images of the things in our lives which we build our whole life on, the things that are solid to us, the things that are reliable, the things that we depend upon, the things that we think are unchanging for us over time. I would suggest to you then, uh, as we look at the psalm, a few categories, which I think are common uh, to most human beings. As you think about solid ground, we might think of things like money, career, or health. Okay, I think those are three common categories of things that we look to and we say, if I have this, I feel secure, and these things are kind of solid in my life, right? And so I would... If you want to think about this, I would suggest you think about what it feels like when you have a lot of money in your bank account. Okay, just stop and think. It feels secure, doesn't it? There's no one here who says, I got a lot of money in my bank account, that makes me feel insecure. It does the very opposite thing, doesn't it? When we have good careers or when we're aspiring to career or when we have good health. We know when we have good health, we feel secure, right? It feels good to wake up in the morning and say, "Mom, my muscles feel good. My bones feel good. I don't feel sick to my stomach. I don't feel like I have any chronic uh, sickness or, or disease. I feel good, and there's a security in that. Okay, that's our solid ground. When I think about mountains, I often think, uh, relationally speaking, the mountains in our lives. And so if you think about your mountains, you could probably think of like your spouse Uh, For me, that'd be my wife. You could think of your children. You could think of your parents. Parents often serve as kind of like the rock-solid ground for us in our lives. You could think of maybe your best friend. And I think there's other categories. You could go on and on thinking of the, the, the solid things in your life that you depend upon, that you build your lives upon. And the psalmist, as he writes this psalm, is writing to evoke these thoughts in our minds about the things that we invest this security and fortitude in in our own lives, and then he's going to ask a very important question, and that comes in verse 2. So look at verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You see what's being described in verses 2 and 3. It's a sort of cataclysmic environmental event right? It has uh, supernatural undertones. It is divinely authored or inspired. The picture that is being described for us is a picture of at least two uh, events that we're, we, we understand what they are. There's an earthquake and a flood that are being described in verses 2 and 3. And the earthquake is pictured as if the, the earth is giving way. So that's my big, like, crack in the earth. It's being separated and removed from beneath our feet. And the mountains are sliding into the ocean. They're, they're slipping into the sea, and they're, uh, they're being leveled, as it were, in the description of what's happening in Psalm chapter 46, verses 2 and 3. So the scenario that is being described to us in this psalm that is meant to be brought out in our minds is a scenario in which The solid things in our life are giving way, and the question then is, do we fear? That's the verse 2, therefore we will not fear. Every time there's a positive affirmation in Scripture and exhortation, it's because often our inclination is to the opposite, right? So we're told, love your neighbors yourself, because our inclination is we don't love our neighbor. So we're told, therefore, we will not fear because our inclination in those moments is to fear. Let me tell you something about the solid ground in your life and the mountains in your life. If you're building your life only on these things with the expectation that they will never give way, that the ground will never be removed from your feet, that your mountains will never slip into the sea, if you're doing that in your own life with the expectation it'll never be moved, let me tell you, that's an untenable situation. That cannot last. It can last for a time, but ultimately those things will give way. Maybe in small ways, maybe in big ways, maybe not all at once, but the things in our lives, money, career, health, relationships, the things that we, that we think will remain the same forever, those things one day will give way. And the earth beneath our feet will be removed, and the mountains will slip into the sea, therefore we shall not fear. That's what this this psalm is evoking in our hearts and and forcing us to have to deal with. Okay? Now as as I think about this exhortation in Psalm 46 and I think about what God is doing in our own hearts, I think it begs the question then, how vulnerable are we really? I think we're more vulnerable than we actually realize. I think that the The time and the place and the society in which we live has made it even harder for us to see our own vulnerability, hasn't it? Right? Because You think about the time and the place that we live in, right? We have more doctors than any generation before us, any society in all the world, and we have more advances in medicine and science and and greater technology, and our jobs pay better than they ever have before. And we have this great standard of life where we have kind of ascended the ladder, and everything is so great, we think it's all part of the facade that we've designed to take away the reality that we're actually more vulnerable than we realize that we're more weak, we're more exposed, that we have less control over the outcomes of our life than we ever realize, okay? And that's a particular problem for the American church. It really is. You know, think about this. The Bible often uses some of these analogies to bring out the reality of our own vulnerability. Who among us goes to sleep tonight and can cause themselves to wake up in the morning? We have no power over that. Who can drive their car home from church and ultimately dictate their outcome, whether they actually will arrive at home safely. We have no power over that. We think we do. We we live as if we do, but the great illusion for us is that we can keep our mountains where they are. And we can keep the, the earth from moving beneath our feet. We live like that, but the reality is we have no control over that. We have no control over these things. That's what's being evoked in Psalm 46. So what is our hope? Second section of this psalm deals with that question, what is our hope? Well, let me say in short, it is God who is our mighty fortress. And you know, I have drawn fortresses before up here, and my fortresses are terrible, I understand, okay? That's my fortress, and God is our fortress, okay? So if you're drawing, draw yourself a better fortress than I can draw. That's my medieval fortress. God is our mighty fortress. Now, think about this. Um, the psalm uses this language, God, our mighty fortress, our refuge, our stronghold. God, uh, the God of Jacob is our fortress. If you, if you think about this, we have no context for fortresses. We don't build them now. We don't live in them we don't aspire, well, maybe some of us aspire to live in them, but um, they don't generally have a function in our lives. But if you, if you go back a few thousand years and you think about the original hearers who would have heard Psalm 46 or who would have recited Psalm 46 in the temple and in the synagogue, for, for them, the, the fortress ha- played a very important role in their everyday lives, okay? Because if you were building a home or you're setting up camp or you were going to live in a particular place, You would almost always orient yourself to some sort of city, some walled fortress, some stronghold where if there was a need to go somewhere and be safe, you would easily retreat into the fortress. This is why, among other reasons, it's so important that when God calls Abraham to leave his people and to go to the land of promise, that Abraham up and does it. Right? He's going to a place of vulnerability where he's about to be exposed and God will be his fortress. Okay. But this is the way it would function. And so when there was bad people entering the land, you retreat into the fortress. And when there was famine in the land, whether it was logical or not, you retreat into the fortress. When when there was pestilence, you retreat into the fortress. Even when there was sickness, and this caused a lot of problems, right? Communicable diseases are worse in in enclosed places. But when sickness was in the land, people retreat into the fortress. The fortress was the stronghold. It was a safe place. And in Psalm 46 The picture is of God who in the midst of the changing scenery around us, as the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the sea, it is God who is pictured as our fortress. Now, I I think this is not only a, a beautiful picture, but it provides for us this great sense of security. And I want to read this quote to you from Elizabeth Elliot. Many of you know Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband died When they were serving on the mission field. And and she came off the mission field. Then she was remarried. And then her second husband died of cancer. And as she was reflecting on. What is God up to? She was reading the 46th Psalm. And here's what she said. In reflection on the 46th Psalm. She said. Everything that has seemed most dependable. Has given way. The mountains are falling. And the earth is receding. In such a time. What a profound comfort it is to know that although things seem shaken, one thing cannot be shaken. God has not been shaken. He's our fortress, right? That's the the picture that's being presented in Psalm 46. Now, let me ask you a question then. It does beg a number of questions. Um, And the question is this, what are the things that we typically run to for shelter? What are the things in our lives that serve as the fortress that we think will give us security? And I have to tell you, if you do the thought exercise and you think through it, you will realize there's a number of things, probably a lot of the mountains and solid ground in your life are the things that you run to, the things that you cling to that that are the security in your life. I think in this way, well, there's a number of ways this is true, but in this way especially, I think the modern evangelical church has done a great disservice to uh, Christians, okay? Because the modern evangelical church, from many pulpits in America, preachers have grown bored with the God of Scripture, okay? And so they have continued to feed to their congregation other fortresses, right, other strongholds, things that we can put our hope in and we can rest in. And you think about this. There are many churches who will talk about, hey, in the downturns of the economy, we, what we need to do is we need to save up our money. We need more money. We need, m- the money will get us through. That will be our stronghold, right? That becomes the, the proclamation of the gospel and in those churches or you know we need we just need more things we need to we need to have more guns or we need to have more food or we need to have more things that will make us strong when our mountains start to fall into the sea right and that becomes the solution for the moving of our ground and the falling of our mountains into the sea but let me tell you something that's that is a that, those are pathetic solutions right those are the solutions of the world right those are the answers of corporate america of silicon valley those are the things that Uh, Elon Musk might come up with or Mark Zuckerberg, but the pathetic part of this is we don't have the money or the clout or the power nearly of those men, and yet their fortresses and our fortresses, each of them will be washed into the sea with the mountains when the day of trouble comes. This psalm tells us that none of those things are our stronghold. In none of those things will we ultimately have refuge and hope. The psalm tells us that God is our mighty fortress. Look at verses 4 through 7. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. That's the church, okay? That's the people of God. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let me point out just a few things about those verses, just briefly. First of all, you look at verse 5. It says there, God will help her when morning dawns. I think that's interesting. It, it, it provokes in our thinking the fact that there is a darkness before the dawn, right? And the reality is that we live in the time that the Bible often describes as the darkness. John 1 says the light has come into the darkness. Uh, we are living in, in between where Christ has come, but he has not yet fully come. He hasn't returned to make all that is wrong to be right and to redeem his people. And so we live in this time of darkness, but the psalm says that when the dawn comes, so comes the king. And that's beautiful. Second thing that I notice about this verses four through seven is if you look at verses six and seven, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice and the earth melts. That for me is kind of interesting and it is a comfort because in verses one through three, the psalmist talks about the mountains falling into the sea, the earth giving way, and you might be inclined to think there's a little bit of chaos in verses one through three. Like why are the mountains falling into the sea? Why is the earth giving way? But in verses 6-7, through as he's describing some of these cataclysmic events, you know, kingdoms totter, it says, he utters his voice and the earth melts. And in that, there's a little bit of causation, isn't there? We see the providence and the plans of God as if to say, yeah, the mountains have slipped into the sea and the earth has given way, but this also is not outside the plans of the living God. For he's the one who utters his voice and the earth dissipates. And the earth melts away at the word of his voice. And I love that. Third thing to note in verses 4 through 7 is as we're looking at this, the holy habitation of the Most High, verse 5 in the beginning says, God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. Let me say, in case you missed it, this is really important, The fortress of our lives and the fortress of the church is not the fortress simply because it has strong walls or it's built on a a nice plain or whatever you want to talk about. The fortress being described in Psalm 46 is a fortress expressly because God is in the midst of her. It is the presence of the living God that makes it a stronghold, that makes it to be a fortress with great strength. And comfort. And let me tell you then that this, this is very meaningful for us as a young church. You think about us right now. We're, we're building a building and it's really fun and exciting. And the inclination of any church who is building a building is to begin to think that this building now is our security, right? That's our fortitude. That's our stronghold. And we're going to build these great walls and they're steel framed. And when we get in there, we're going to have these great accoutrements and it's going to be beautiful. And you think about maybe some of the ways you think about instrumentation. We're going to we're not going to have a pipe organ, but the pipe organ just kind of communicates this great strength, doesn't it, where you've got the pipes up on the wall, and there's sound coming from there like, that's the picture of power and fortitude. We might be inclined to think whatever we have in a building is, man, that's going to be our strength. We're going to be able to meet every Sunday. Nobody can tell us we can't meet, okay? But if God is not in the midst of it, it is nothing. Amen if God is not in the midst of it, in the same way, we could meet in this gymnasium for the next 20 years. And I don't think we're going to. I think, I think we're leaving here soon. I really do. But we could meet in this gymnasium for the next 20 years and with these uncomfortable chairs and the, the roof that creaks and it feels like it's going to fall in sometimes. And, uh, and the, the sound that's terrible and you only hear half of the words and the bathrooms that sometimes smell like body odor because we meet in a gymnasium. We could be here for the next 20 years and if God is in our midst... He is our stronghold and we have security because God is in our midst, right? It's the beauty of what the psalmist is saying to us. Our fortitude and strength is in the living God and if he is in our midst, our world, though it be shaken, it will not be toppled or altered. The Lord God is our strength and he goes before us and he goes with us. He is a mighty fortress. Now, the last three verses of the psalm four verses of the psalm answers a very important question the question is why for what purpose and I, and i don't mean for what purpose is god our fortress that's part of it but really for what purpose does the earth give way? For what purpose do the mountains move into the sea? For what purpose do we have these things in our life that are so important to us that at one point or another we'll be altered, shaken, moved? What's the purpose of that and then God being seen as our fortress? What's the reason for all of that? The last four verses definitely hold the key. If you look at the last four verses, specifically verse 10, listen to what verse 10 says. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. See, verses 8 through 11 tell us that the the meaning of all of this, the, the purpose for everything we've just talked about unfolding is that the Lord God would be exalted. That he would be lifted up. The purpose of suffering, the purpose of trials, the purpose of the earth beneath our feet giving way and our mountains slipping into the sea, and the the purpose of us wondering where's our hope and where's our security, and the purpose of us ultimately having to cast our cares and concerns and burdens upon the Lord who is our fortress, the purpose of all of that is that he might be exalted. That he might be lifted up, that the people all around us, our friends and our neighbors and the people of his congregation and of our community might look at you and say, Wow, look at them, their mountains are slipping into the sea, their, their earth is giving way. And yet it's as if they're they're in a fortress. It's as if they have some fortitude, some stronghold that, that keeps them from, from being moved and going into utter despair. And in that, the Lord God has lifted up. You know what the word exalted means? It's the Hebrew word, you might have heard this before, it's the Hebrew word arum, arum. It is the word that means to lift up, like a flag goes up the flagpole, or a teacher who stands in front of the class and says, I know you can't see in the back, but I'm going to lift it up for everybody to see, okay? It is the elevation of an object or a thing or a person so that everyone might see and behold it, Okay? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the peoples. I will be exalted among the nations. That's the meaning for everything that we've just read in Psalm 46. It's the meaning for our trials. It's the meaning for our mountains that slip into the sea. Now, I tell you, there are three, two verbs in, in the last four verses that help us to understand what it looks like for us to exalt God in the midst of the moving uh, terrain around us. First of all, in verse 8, it says, come, behold the works of the Lord, okay? So first of all, we are to behold the works of the Lord. This, it means to, to look at, to gaze at, to stare at, to fix your vision on. It really means with intensity, to look with your eyes and not to be distracted and not to have your vision all around, but to be fixed on the works of the Lord. The second verb that's really helpful as we think about this is in verse 10. Again, be still and know that I'm God. Our R. C. Sproul, when he was preaching on Psalm 46, R. C. Sproul said that, you know, to read this, be still, it's kind of, it doesn't give you the intensity that it ought to. He said, I, I'd like to read this more as like, uh, be quiet, or even almost like shut up. And I know that is like a, that's a, you don't say that to your siblings if you're a child. Don't say shut up, okay? But it has that, that force or that power. Be quiet. Stop talking. And that's because it's a, it's a hifl verb in the Hebrew, a hifl verb in the imperative voice, which means it is a command with causation. It ought to be read like, you should be quieted. You should be stilled. You should cease. And know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted among the peoples. Okay? So, beholding the living God, being still and quieted, and knowing I am God, I will be exalted among the peoples. Can I just say something here as we wrap up this psalm? I I think too often what we hear from the preaching or the pulpit and then we, we get a kind of ear for it and we want to hear it and we're expecting to hear it is, is, the, is the list of things that we should do, okay? And, we, and so we grow kind of accustomed to sermons that are like uh, the three things that you should be doing to you know, live the better life or the, the five things that God wants you to do now or the four ways that you can have better relationships and that's the, that's the preaching that we kind of grow accustomed to. And then we develop a a longing for it. Like, we show up to church, and we're like, well, there was nothing for me to do. What do I do? How do I go from here? Like, I don't have my list to work on this week, so what was the point of the preaching? Let me tell you something. Um, First of all, God help us. Uh, Second of all, let me just give you a novel idea. This is what I want to leave you with. It's very simple. It may feel too simple. The purpose of our gathering on a Sunday morning And the purpose of the preaching and the purpose of everything we're doing, the the purpose that should be being worked out every Sunday as the people of God gather together, it's very simple. Behold the works of the Lord. Be still and know that I am God, right? All we're to do is set our vision on the living God, our fortress, our mighty stronghold, the one who defends us, in whom we have our hope. We come together to behold him. That's really it. All the rest works out from that, okay? But we are to gather together to behold the works of the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. And you know why that's important? Because our inclination, when our mountains begin to fall into the sea and our earth gives way, you know what our inclination is? We get busy, don't we? Our hearts start moving and we get anxious inside of us and we start talking, we start thinking and we, we get to be like, how do we solve this problem? We got all these ideas and I just start talking and the message is this, Behold the works of the Lord. Be still. Cease. Stop. Be quieted. Close your mouth. Stop talking. Stop thinking. Stop being anxious. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the peoples. That's what Psalm 46 is all about. That's what the preaching of God's word is about. That's what we need, whether we realize it or not, because whether it be now or later, our mountains at some point, they will fall into the sea. The earth will give way beneath our feet. But the Lord God is our mighty fortress, a bulwark never failing. Amen, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are our God you are not a God like the other gods of the world. And you are not made with images. And you are not made by the hands of men. And you cannot be categorized or reduced to the things of the minds of men and women. But you're the living God. You're the God above all gods. You're the God who speaks and creates. And you're the God who speaks and destroys. And you are the God who has made for yourself a people. And we thank you, our Father, that through your Son, Christ Jesus, you have made us your people. How great and awesome and wonderful it is to know that you are our fortress. And so may we, Lord God, may we run to you and cling to you. In our day of trouble, may our foundations be resting upon you, that we will not be shaken. Not because of any strength in and of us, but because we are weak, and in our weakness, you are strong. Lord God, we ask that you would help us to trust you more, that you would help us to have faith in you, in your Son, Jesus Christ who has reconciled us to you by his blood on the cross. May you be with us in our most joyous day and in our day of trouble. And we love you, our Lord and our God, and we thank you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask all of this. Amen.